Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. I so appreciate that testimony from Peter and Jody. And I love hearing how different families are using this time to engage digitally, to engage with the resources we have. In fact, this weekend, we're really going to hit hard as we look at gearing up. How do we gear up as families? How do we gear up in our homes? But before we dive into that, I want to take one moment and call you again to Faith Promise and your Faith Promise Pledge. If you've not turned it in, we need you to turn your card in. If you've not gone online and filled it out, it is vital that you do so. Because all of our faith promise money, remember, that's the money we give away. That's the money we use to support missions and projects around the world. And we want to be good stewards to know how to budget next year for those projects and to be able to support our missionaries and everyone in it. And so I know it's harder when we're not meeting in person to remember that, to turn it in. So that's why I'm asking you today, this week, mail it in, go online so that we can know well what that budget is, and those we're going to support. We've had about $600,000 committed so far. That's awesome. Love seeing that. But just remind you, our budget last year was about $1.7 million. And so we're looking to our venture body, and it's so important because it is our outreach and all that's involved in it. So can we take a moment and just pray, and then we'll dive into this message. Father, I do pray for our faith promise. I thank you so much for the history of venture. This is a church that loves missions. This is a church that loves to give. And so, Lord, I pray, would you mobilize your church again? If there was ever a time to reach out, a pandemic is a time when people need Jesus. And you know our passionate commitment to be able to fund these projects, to be able to do this work around the world. And so I pray, would you mobilize your church now? Would you help each of us step out by faith to not only make that commitment, but to send it in? to sign the dotted line. Lord, I thank you that somebody loved us enough to share the good news with us. And that's our desire is that we could keep sharing it around the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in week two of Gear Up. And in this series, we're we're looking at how do we gear up for 2021? How do we gear up in our personal life? How do we gear up while we're still in a time of lockdown in different ways and pandemic and we see numbers coming up with it? And as I looked at that, you know, I was thinking about all these months where we've not been able to do life the way we normally would. And I started thinking, what are some of the things that we've learned during this time? What are the things that maybe we've gained and some of even the silly things? You know, I was thinking about it. I've learned more about how to use Zoom than I ever thought possible. How many hours of my life are spent in Zoom meetings and all the features and all that you can do with it? I think it's good, been good for my kids because they had an opportunity to see a little bit more when they go, why are you in meetings all day? I think they thought I just kind of sat in my office and, and waited for inspiration and, and wrote sermons all week. Maybe some of you think that as well. There's a lot of meetings, a lot of activity with that. And so Zoom's been a great feature. We've learned how to use YouTube as a family on our TV so that we can watch the worship services. And some of you, maybe that's old hat for you. It was new for me, for us to be able to engage it. I've learned a lot about Netflix and all that's out on Netflix. We've learned who the Tiger King is. 
And he'll probably get out of prison before we're out of all the lockdown with it. But learn different facets of it. And we've been learning things as a church and ministry. Here's one of the key things that we've learned, and it really motivated this whole sermon series. We've learned that we need to do a better job of equipping you personally, of helping you own your faith, helping you take steps. See, this disruption in the way we would normally do things kind of exposes, do we really know how to own our own faith? Do we know how to really engage spiritual practices like we talked about last week? Do we know how to disciple our own kids and invest in the next generation? And in all of this, and we want to focus today specifically, how do we gear up in a way that we're gearing down? How do we gear up so that we can pass it down to those that God has put in our charge, whether it's kids in our home or people in our life? How are we discipling in that? Now, as I say that, maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you haven't even taken a faith step yet. You're catching this sermon online and you look at it. And, and you might tell yourself, well, I don't know how I would relate to that. I'm going to tell you, I think this is a perfect message for you. Because if you really want to know what people believe, watch how they teach their kids. Whatever you train your kids or whatever you allow your kids to do, that really is your core belief, no matter what you might say in another context. Now, I remember years ago, somebody asked Madonna, the rock star, were her kids allowed to listen to her music and watch her movies? She said, absolutely not. I would never let them see it. I'm surprised how many actors and actresses say, no, my kids aren't allowed to do that. How many tech people would say, no, I don't let my kids use the technology of the very companies I work in because they know the impact of it. And, and so I, I think this is a great message because it gives all of us a window. Whatever you're training your kids, whatever you're allowing your kids, it's usually what you're most passionate about. And, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I know that there are principles that you're passionate about, that you want to pass down. And so as you learn ours and you learn how we're doing that, I think there's things that you can see both in what we believe, but also how you are passing that on as well. As we look at it today, we're going to get real practical in this series. So I want to give you five principles, and then I'm going to give you some resources, and then how we can get it in gear. So as we think about discipling, as we think about training our kids spiritually, Here's the first thing that I'd say for all of us. We have to embrace the personal and collective responsibility to spiritually train the next generation. We, we have to embrace, I have a personal responsibility. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you don't even have kids. If you're part of the family of God, if you look to the Bible, you look at the people of God, everybody has this sense of personal responsibility of who am I investing in? Who am I training? And then it shows up collectively, we do this together. You know, the phrase, it takes a village. Guys, it takes a church to be able to raise our kids, to be able to pour into them, to be able to train them. And so each one of us, right out of the gate, there's this place, it's kind of this slap in the face wake up call to realize you've got a responsibility with that because this is so important. Look how it shows up in, in Israel. I love Deuteronomy 6. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible. If you were to ask a Jewish person, if they were to talk about their scriptures, Deuteronomy 6 is one of the fundamental passages, the Shema that everyone knew. 
Look what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And, and if you notice in that, that's the command that everyone, in fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said this one. He says, love God, and then he added to it, love your neighbor. All these words I command you today will be on your heart. You've got to own it first. But then notice how Moses turns immediately. It's not just for you, though. Look what he says. You shall teach them, and don't just teach them. Look, look at this phrase. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them down on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Now, now notice how he keeps driving this thing home. This isn't just truth for you. It's truth that you need to be handing down, that you need to be investing. So when you're walking, when you rise, when you're eating, in your home. He's not just talking about, okay, you just kind of have this quiet time or this one little devotional time and we're done. He says, this needs to permeate your life. This needs to be what you believe and you talk about because it's so important. You're willing to invest in it. You know, as I was thinking about this, this investment that we do in our kids, one of the things that jumped out to me is youth sports. Uh, I love sports and I got a lot of kids, so I know a lot about youth sports. I got seven kids, and the last four are boys. And so we have done everything. We've been through football, baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, lots of hockey, time in the hockey rink. Uh, one that's gotten, a couple of them getting into golf and the investment of that. I mean, you name a sport, we've done the seasons. We've been at the practices. We've got the gear. We have the pads. We got a garage full of stuff because of the investment in it. And, and sometimes I'll look at it where we had practices on top of practices. You reach those seasons where you don't, I don't know if I can add anymore, but when you got a lot of kids, if it's important to you, you'll add it. I remember a few years ago, Kent, my son, wanted to play basketball. He, he said, Dad, I really want to play. And I said, well, do you want to play at your school? And his school was really competitive. And he goes, yeah, Dad, I don't, I don't want to really do something super competitive. I just, something fun. And so there was a church in town. We were in Little Rock at the time. Emmanuel Baptist Church had a great church basketball league. And it wasn't super competitive, but competitive enough to still be fun. And so I told Ken, I said, okay, I'll sign you up for it. And he kept bugging me. Hey, Dad, have you signed me up? Have you signed me up? And I kept saying, oh, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Till one day, I, I go online, I Google Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I pull up the form, and the signups were finished that day. It was the last day you could get them in. And, and you had to do the evaluation that night. And so I called Lee. I was like, hey, we got to eat dinner early. I'm going to take Ken over there. And she kind of said, are we really going to start this right now? We, we already have two in hockey. She mentioned everything else. I said, you know, babe, he really wants to do it. And so we ate dinner. We drove over. We went in, big gyms going on, all the different courts the, with it. And I walked in with a piece of paper and I said, hey, I'm here to sign my son up and do evaluation tonight. And the guy looked at me and he said, well, signups are finished. I said, what do you mean signups are finished? He said, yeah, no, we finished signups two weeks ago. You're too late. And I kind of got angry. I said, look, it says right on the form, signups finished today. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah, it says it right there. And he picked up the form, he looked at it, and he goes, well, you're right. Signups do finish today, 
for Emmanuel Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia, but not for Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where you are. I would Googled the wrong church. I had the wrong form. And, and that sinking feeling like, are you kidding me? And then Kent is standing there, and, and he was being so nice about it. He, he was like, hey, Dad, it's okay. I, I don't have to do it. Seriously, it's okay. And I'm just feeling like loser dad of the year. And so I, I pulled the guy aside. I said, Kent, hold on a second. I, not lying. I pulled him over in the corner. And I said, all right, how much money would it take for me to get him in this league? I, I am not above bribing. Hey, it's to a church, okay? So it's kind of a form of tithing in its own way. I can feel you at home judging me. Don't judge me on this. I, I was desperate. Now, I was like, what do I need to pay? And he kind of looked at me and laughed. And he, he goes, money's not going to do it. He goes, but there is one way. I said, really? He goes, yeah, we're short coaches. We don't have enough coaches. And anybody who coaches, their kid gets to be on their team. So if you'll sign up to coach... He's in. And I, I'm thinking, I barely had enough time to be able to drive him to practices, much less take on coaching. I'll never forget, I, I picked up the phone and I called Lee and I, I told her, I said, hey, uh, yeah, bad news, we missed the deadline. And her first words were, thank God, we didn't need to add anything else. I said, well, well, hold on, I think I got him in. I got an in with the coach. And she said, really, who's the coach? I said, you're talking to him, baby, Coach Lundy. And she was not that impressed uh, with my new credential, much less my new schedule. And it was hard adding it to it. Now, it was a great season. We had a blast. Unfortunately, the league was at a point that even I could coach there. I had enough basketball in my background. It wasn't a problem. And, and I love making those memories with each of the kids. I love investing in them. I love the time, the personal time in the yard when we're throwing the ball back and forth. I love anytime you do youth sports. Here's the interesting thing. It's not just the dads and the moms of those kids. It's always interesting to me how many people in the community will come and invest in them as well. Now, why do we do that? Because it's important to us. Because we value it. And here's a question for us, all of us. Man, do we value the spiritual training of our kids in the same way? Do we value it enough personally to work with them and talk with them and take the time? Do we value it enough as a collective community? Man, that we'll come alongside, we'll invest in somebody else's kid, we'll serve to train them, we'll look for those opportunities. And guys, hear me, I'm not saying this in any way against youth sports. I love how constructive that is. I'm just asking, do we take the same sense of responsibility when it comes to discipleship and spiritually training? Now, as we do that, here, here's the second thing that we need to know. We have to, as parents, especially if you've got young kids, this is a key principle. You got to drive out the foolishness in the heart of a child through consistent discipline. A core part of the whole discipleship process starts with discipline, especially when they're little kids. And, and, and what he's saying here is, and the principle is, it's foolishness that's in them. Look how Proverbs puts it in Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That folly, foolishness, 
is bound up in the heart of every child. Every child is born foolish. There's no way around it. And if you have children, you don't doubt that. If you have a two-year-old, you really know it. I remember one of the boys once had such a temper. That's how his foolishness came out. That anytime you even corrected him, even in the crib there, even as a little kid, that he would get mad. And when he really got mad at you, he would take his head and just hit it as hard as he could against the mattress of the crib. Now, that's not too big a deal in a baby crib. But one day, he's kind of trying to move across the kitchen floor and we had a brick floor. And I forget what it was. He found a piece of food, I think it was, and we took it from him so he couldn't eat it. And you could see the madness just growing. He got so angry. And then like a slow motion film, I saw it coming. I was like, oh no. And sure enough, he took his head and slammed it on the brick floor. And when he came back up, his eyes were a little crossed. I mean, <laughs> literally was seeing stars. And, and we paused there for a second. And then suddenly he started screaming and he was even angrier. And it made him so mad. I watched him the second time. He reared his head back. But this time as he looked down, he's like, well, I'm not going to hit the floor with my head. There was enough of the pain that was involved that I'm not going to do that foolishness again. That's a little picture of, of what parenting, especially with little kids and through the years, is like, where you have to introduce, and, and the phrase here, this rod of discipline, he's not saying you take a big rod and you beat it out of them. That would be child abuse. Um, it's not saying you can't spank, but that's not the only way. What it's saying, the principle here is you're introducing a consistent discipline in their life that's unwavering so that that foolishness can get out of their heart. And here's why it's so important. And I've seen it over the years as a pastor quite a bit. If you see a child that's not had that discipline, you can see a young person. And this time comes in their life, and a lot of times the parent will put them in a Christian school or bring them to a youth group or, or bring them to church in that. And, and you're trying to put wisdom into their life, but their heart is still filled with foolishness. They're so overflowing with foolishness, man, nothing is penetrating. And see, that, that's why that consistency of applying it, of learning. And I would tell you, if you're a young parent especially, this is why church is so important that we do this as a collective community. You need to come alongside parents who are a little further in the game than you. Parents that have kids that have been through those stages. And, and learn from them, man, how did you consistently discipline? Because every kid's different. And they all respond different ways. And so that's why you need that wisdom speaking in your life. Can, can I just caution you as young parents, because I hear this all the time and I see it. Don't go Google it. Google's a wonderful tool, but it's a lousy parent. And, and so, if, especially if you're part of a church community, look to the wisdom of those who've already been there. Look to the resources that they have and provide as you take that. Here's the third thing that we have to do then with it. Build on the framework of faith in a child's life. The, the great thing about how God's wired children and wired young people, there's a framework of faith there. Now, it's bound up in foolishness, and all of us struggle in that, but, but there's a framework to actually see God in the world. It's part of what Jesus is talking about. Look how he puts it in Matthew. And calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's a part of it that you've got to humble yourself to be able to embrace in a way that a child would. It's it's interesting, researchers, as they studied children, uh, Nancy Piercy describes two different studies. One was done at Yale University. Of children, Paul Bloom at Yale University, psychologist, as they studied children, he, he, he said this, children will directly believe that there is a reason for the origin of the universe. There's a designer behind it. He said, it's fascinating. Even children that have been raised by atheists quickly embrace, no, no, the world came from somewhere. They quickly embrace that there must be a God. Uh, There was a psychologist, Justin Baird at Oxford University. He came to the exact same finding. They both did two different studies with it. He, He said, scientific evidence has shown that built into the natural development of a child's mind is a predisposition to see the natural world as designed and purposeful. There's some kind of intelligent being behind that purpose. He said, I believe it so much so that if children were left to themselves on an island, they all would believe in God. The sense of that there is no not God, the, the sense that you don't believe in it is something you actually have to be educated out of, according to Barrett. And and you look at this, and here's why I bring this up, because again, I would encourage you, if you've got little kids, don't dismiss their ability to embrace deeper principles. Don't dismiss their ability to to be predisposed to learning and invest in those time periods. Use these opportunities now. They may not be at a place where they're old enough to make a place of decision, but they're at a perfect place where you can be investing and training. And as you do that, that leads to the fourth point. Fourth point. And this is for all of us as parents. You got to lead them to a place of decision regarding a personal relationship with Christ. You got to lead them to a place of decision. And there comes an age, and it's got to be an age where they're actually making their own decision. They're coming to the point, and this is true not just of kids, this is true of every person on the planet. Nobody enters into the kingdom of God. Nobody enters the family of God by osmosis, by being around it, by going to church their whole life. For every single one of us, there comes a place of decision. Romans puts it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even our kids. But they're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because Christ died on the cross. Because he paid for us. Each of us has to come to that place where I recognize that and I make that decision. This is one of the hardest parts about parenting. Because you can't make the decision for them. We can lead them to a place. We can train them. We can teach them. We can immerse them in it. But God respects each person so much that he never forces that decision on anyone. And and so as a parent, one of the hardest things as you're walking with your kids in this is when they come to that place, do they make a decision to follow Christ? And here's the reality. It's not one decision. It's a series of decisions. Oh, there's that first decision where they receive the gift of salvation. But that continued decisions of what they're going to do in life, what they're going to do with this truth, what they're going to do with church, what they're going to do with their spouse, what they're going to do in all those things, 
as you launch them out and they make those decisions. And I, I know a number of you and talk to a number of you, you've got kids that have decided to walk away from their faith. Walk away from church, walk away from all of it. There's probably few things more painful as a parent. And as you live in that, one of the things I just caution you, um, you own your responsibility in training them, but you can't own their decisions. I mean, even God with his kids. I mean, think about it. God's first kids, Adam and Eve. In his relationship with them, it's striking to me, he didn't start with childhood or teenage years. God said, we're not going to mess with any of that. So he started them out as adults. And even in that, in this perfect setting, they have a perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with God. Things couldn't get better. There's only one rule they have to keep in the whole place. And even God's kids in that setting chose on their own, to disobey. And as you look at that, again, I just say this to parents because there's some that live under tremendous guilt over it. We all have to own our responsibility, but you can't own that decision. And so the goal is, how am I investing in them? How am I teaching them? How am I leading them that place that as they keep making those decisions in life, they would choose truth. And then I have to trust that before God. And so we look at the process, invest in them through consistent discipleship. Invest in them. Remember, it's a series of decisions. And so as you're investing in them, you're, you're going to do three key things. And, and maybe as you hear the word discipleship, that, that can feel a little bit overwhelming. Sometimes as parents, when you're told to disciple your kids, I talk to a lot of parents and they go, I, I don't know how to do this. Really, there's three simple parts to it. If you look at the first part, tell them God's stories. Tell them the stories of the Bible. Your children need to rehearse and hear the stories of the Bible. You know, one of the things I was thankful for growing up in a pretty traditional church, but I can remember over the years, the stories of the Bible that were taught every year in class and hearing them, hearing them at home. I mean, I go all the way back, tell you the technology. In our church, we used flannel graph. Now, some of you don't even know what that means, especially as kids. We didn't have screens. We didn't have all that. Here, here was the big technology of the day. That was this board that was made out of flannel. And then the teacher had these characters that, that she would put up on the board as she's telling the story. And so I can still remember sitting there and then there'd be a flannel board of like the Garden of Eden. And then she'd put the characters of Adam and Eve up. And they always, you know, kind of were there and the leaves were conveniently placed covering their body. And, and told the stories in that way. I can't tell you, I can walk through the different Bible stories and still see them in that way. And I kind of laugh about it in a certain way. But you know, there's another part of me. I realized those stories were shaping my life. Guys, we're, we're shaped by our stories. That's why we love stories like the Lord of the Rings or the Harry Potter books or Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, there's so many books or series that maybe you can go back to that you go, oh, yeah, that story, it, it wasn't just the story, it was how it spoke to me. And there's a reason that God laid out the Bible and all throughout the Bible, it's not just principles, it's stories. 
Don't squander the opportunity. A core part of discipling your kids is telling them those stories. And not only that, tell them your stories. Tell them the time God showed up in your life. Tell them things that he specifically did. We'd be amazed how little our kids know about our personal spiritual journey. Because we didn't take the time to tell them the stories. And then you put that, you tell them the stories, the second principle, you teach them in God's truth. So you need to immerse them in the truth. Again, the Bible is this great combination. It's the stories of God, but it's also the truth of God, the principles of God, the doctrines of God. And I would encourage you, if you really want to learn the doctrine of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, get a children's book that teaches it. Uh, you'd be amazed how clear it is. In fact, I'm going to give you some resources around that. But, but you want to be teaching them these two things hand in hand. And then the third part of it is you train them in spiritual practices. You train them. And here, here's all I mean. You go to church together. You train them while we take communion. If you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. That's a spiritual practice. It's a fundamental part of the church. You train them in serving. You train them in why you give. And so if you give or you tithe, you train your kids in it. You don't assume they know these things. See, this is a core part of parenting and training them. And, and when life gets disrupted, sometimes the training gets disrupted. You know, but take advantage of it. So maybe we're not here and you're not meeting in this room and we're not on this campus, but you can meet as a family. I mean, I know as a family, one of the core things that we just made a commitment to is, man, we're going to engage the service together. It's important for my kids. It's important for us. And so on Sunday morning, get up and we make breakfast and we have the service. Now, some weekends I'm preaching live here on campus, but anytime we're home, we set that time why? Because I think the sermon is so riveting and the kids need to hear it. No, it really isn't about that. It's about training that spiritual practice in their life, that this is really important. See, it, it's key that we make these choices. And so as you think about children going across, it's like climbing a mountain. You know, I was reading about Mount Everest. Now, I'm always fascinated with Everest and people that have climbed Everest and, and if you look at it, the thing that's so dangerous about Mount Everest is you, you've got to get conditioned for it. You can't just go show up at Everest and start climbing. It's so high up. And the altitude impacts people in so many different ways. And there's cer only certain windows in the year when you can go. There's only two routes to the top. Once you're up there, there's only a short window in the day when you can go to the top and then come back down. You have to have base camps at different levels. I mean, you look at it, it is a long enterprise if you're going to make that trek. And, and no matter how experienced you are, everyone that does it, they always hire Sherpas. The Sherpas are the people that live in the Kumbu Valley there. And, and because they've lived there around the mountain at those altitudes, they're genetically predisposed in a way they're not impacted by altitude sickness the way people outside of the valley are. And one of the most dangerous things about climbing Everest is altitude sickness starts impacting you. Fluid builds up on your lung. Your brain starts swelling at a certain altitude. You can get disoriented, make really bad decisions. And so that lack of oxygen, you'll actually reach a point where you're high enough, they call it the death zone. Because from that point on, your body's dying. You can't stay there. 
And as I look at that and I think about that story, so much it feels like when you're raising children, it feels like you're climbing Everest. It's hard. It's dangerous. Some points feel like the death zone, maybe teenage years for some people. And and here's the reality. Kids are never going to make it without Sherpas. They're not going to make it unless somebody who already knows the path, somebody who knows what to avoid, somebody who knows what foolishness is, somebody who's willing to speak into their life, somebody who's willing to guide the way, comes forward and says, hey, you can follow me. Let's do this together. And a fundamental part of parenting is being a Sherpa, but here's what it means in the family of God. We're all Sherpas. You're the Sherpa to somebody. There's somebody behind you. There's somebody younger than you. And and if we don't step forward and guide them and walk with them, disciple them, that's all it means is take God's truth and show them how it lives out in real life. They're not going to make it. And so that's why we have to band together. It takes a church, guys, all of us. Now, as we say that, I want to close out with just some resources. I asked our family team and some others with it, some resources, and there's tons of great things out there. Here's a few things, though, if you look at it and you see it in your notes. The first one is the, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'm telling you, if you've got preschool kids, this is a great resource. Sally Lloyd-Jones, over 2 million copies sold. The artwork in it is great. It's a great way to tell them those stories. Even if you just made story time with this Bible, you'd be amazed the truth that comes out of it. If you've got elementary kids, here's a great book, Bruce Ware, Big Truths for Young Hearts. And basically what he's doing is those doctrines, those principles. So you tell them the story, but you also need to teach them the truths. He's explaining them in a way that elementary students can understand. And so I, I'd encourage you, if you've got elementary students, this would be a great book to walk them through in that. If you got middle schoolers, a book by Craig Jutilla, Craig, who was the uh, family pastor for our church, tragically dr- passed away from a heart attack two years ago. And uh, one of the things I love, though, is his legacy of teaching lives on. And this book, Faith in the Modern Family, man, it's a great resource. It's a great resource. You got a middle schooler, go online. You can get it. It's from a few years ago. It's still out there. If you got a high schooler, a book I've been recommending over and over is Faith for Exiles. This is a great book. Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. And we had scheduled Dave last month to do a webinar, a training webinar for parents based on this material. And uh, Dave's wife has battled cancer for years. And she passed away the weekend that was scheduled. Dave graciously agreed that he's going to come back in the new year and we'll reschedule that. But, but you lift up the Kinnaman family. Pray for Dave and his kids. And, and I would just encourage you, this book is an excellent, because it talks about what are the things that you need to be training your young person. How do you disciple them? How do you lead them as that Sherpa? What are the five fundamental practices that'll lead to the kind of resilient faith you want them to have? A couple other things. One thing that we're starting in our household, it's the New City Catechism. Some of you, maybe if you grew up, more traditional church or Catholic church, you go catechism. 
All a catechism is, it's a series of questions and answers. And so New City, Kathy Keller's laid this out, 52 questions and the answer. And one of the easiest ways to use this is at the dinner table, where you ask the question, and it's 52 because it's once a week. And so week number two, what is God? And here's the answer. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He's eternal, infinite, unchangeable in power, perfection, goodness, and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Now, some families choose to memorize the answer for each of these questions, and then you've got a whole foundation for your kids. Even if you just took it and you put it on your dinner table, and then you pull it out once a week or every night and go, hey, let's rehearse this. It's a simple tool that helps you invest and train in the next generation. The last thing I put on there was a Bible project. I, I love the Bible project. I told you we're going to do a church-wide reading plan, a New Testament plan. And the reason I chose the New Testament instead of the whole Bible is I wanted it a small enough section that it wouldn't be too hard, even if you wanted to do it with your kids, that we could just engage this together. See, these are simple resources that are out there that can make a difference. So how do we get it in gear as we finish out? Look in your notes. I put five things there, five things I want everybody to do. One, embrace your responsibility to disciple down. Embrace the fact that you're somebody's Sherpa, so you better start guiding them. Second thing, personally practice what you're teaching your kids. Guys, kids can smell it. They know it. And so if it's something you're telling them to do and you're not doing, man, they will detect it in a moment. So maybe you better put some things in practice. Third, engage the ministries of the church as part of your family life. Use the resources we have. Bring your kids on a Tuesday night. We have 300 middle schoolers and high schoolers here every Tuesday night. We're socially distanced, in groups, but it's a great resource. We have Zoom resources for children's ministry online. We're going to launch this reading program. We're launching new things. We want to come alongside and equip with you. Take advantage of those resources. Number four, put one new practice in place. Just do one thing. Maybe it's the catechism. Maybe it's a reading plan. Maybe it's Bible stories at night. Just begin to do one new thing and ratchet it up from there. And then finally, commit with your kids to follow through. Now, here's where rubber meets the road. Of everything that we just talked about, if you're really serious about doing it, here's what I challenge you to do. Pick one of those things, pick one of those practices, pick something that you're going to consistently do, and then tell your kids you're going to do it. Sit down together. Maybe you have a discussion together as a family. You go, hey, what's something we could add? What's something we could consistently do? Now, if you've got little bitty kids, you're going to have to make that decision. But go ahead and announce it to them. Go, hey, here's what we're going to do. If your kids are a little bit older, engage them in the process. And here's why I tell you to do that. Because once you've raised it to that level, man, you know you've committed together. And you've invited them into the process of how we follow after Jesus together. Guys, I want to encourage you. As a church, we're passionate about this. This whole series, I'm passionate about. I'm passionate that we start reading the Bible again and learning that truth. I'm passionate that we embrace this responsibility 
and we lead this next generation. And we're passionate about equipping you, about being there for you, about helping you not only take those steps, but create a home, create a life where this is fundamental to who you are and to the people that you're influencing. Let's pray to that end. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the people that have invested in me over life. Lord, even as I sit here, I can think of so many people that were Sherpas for me, that have guided me. Lord, I pray you'd raise up a church full of Sherpas. I pray as a church family, we would all embrace this responsibility. We would all passionately think about the next generation. I pray for parents. I pray for grandparents. I pray for those that maybe they don't have kids of their own or their kids are out of the house. Would you engage us and energize us that as your people, we would disciple down. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.